Well, good morning. I was told last week I forgot to say that, so I don't know if we actually had a sermon last week or not. I tell you, my family usually gives me a hard time about saying good morning, and I didn't even realize I didn't say it, but I guess it's official if I, if I actually say it. So I got a checklist of things we usually run through in mean, by means of introduction. So good morning, first of all, but we're glad that you're here as well. If you have your Bible, you can be turning to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, and we're going to be taking our lesson mainly from that passage, although we'll certainly look at some other verses in support of that. Uh, we're glad that you're here and thankful for the chance to encourage one another. I'll make mention of a couple things. If you have your bulletin and you're pulling them out there for your notes, uh, you can go over to the other side of the sick list again just to add a couple of people. Uh, one is our brother Jeff Archie has been battling COVID. Um, we're, you're familiar, Brian mentioned as, as he did so well there, all the works that are on the front of our bulletin, including the International Gospel Hour. Jeff came and spoke to us uh, a while back about the work that he's doing there, and we're thankful for that. But, but he and his bride, Renita, have been dealing with uh, COVID, and so we want to pray for them. And then our family has a, a personal friend uh, by the name of Andy Doss. Uh, D-O-S-S, Andy Doss, who's been in the hospital the last couple of days, and we would uh, certainly appreciate prayers on his behalf as he's been going through some things. So lots of folks that we want to continue to pray for, and we're thankful for that opportunity to be able to, to share in that and to continue to pray for the congregation here. Uh, as you think about Second Samuel chapter 9, and if you know your history, and we've been talking about history a little bit on our Wednesday night Bible class, in Second Samuel chapter 5, uh, we read a, a great passage when King David takes over the reign, if you will, of the United Kingdom. If you recall from your Hebrew history that there was a portion of time where the children of Israel were united in a united kingdom. There were three kings that reigned during that time. And so King David is one of those. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we read about David going to become the king and reigning over 2 Samuel chapter 6, they take the ark and they bring it home. They move it. There's an interesting story that you may recall there of a man named Uzzah. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, as we go through the passage there, we think about the fact that uh, David wants to build the house of God. But of course, God tells David, he said, no, it's not going to be you. It's going to be your son who is going to build that house. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's that discussion there. And, and God says, you're not going to build my house, but I'm going to raise up a house for you and your name. And of course, we think about the, the future tense there, looking forward to even Jesus the Christ. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, David conquers some lands, as kings do. He goes through some things there. And we come to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we meet a man. A man who has been living in relative obscurity. We're going to notice in just a moment, it's not the first time that we read his name. But we meet this person. And I know if you've got your notes out, or even if you see it on the screen already, you're probably concerned. Uh, you're thinking, this is the preacher who usually can't pronounce baptism right, much less Greek. And he's going to say Mephibosheth about 20 times during this lesson. We're going to give it our best shot. So you may hear it about six different ways by the time that we're done. But uh, we meet a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, if you know your history and you know about Mephibosheth, he is a grandson of King Saul. We talked just a moment ago about King David, and we know the name Saul. He's a grandson of Saul, and he's a son of Jonathan. Now, that's important as we're going to think about what takes place here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, because we know, as much of the world knows, the relationship between David and Jonathan. But in connection with that, we really know the relationship between David and Saul. But here we meet this man who is a son of Jonathan by the name of Mephibosheth. He's been living, as we said just a moment ago, in relative obscurity. He's kind of been behind the scenes, if you will. He's not really made a name for himself, even though his bloodline would put him in line to be the king. 
Now, this is probably, as we read 2 Samuel chapter 9, an ordinary day in the life of Mephibosheth as he's going through this obscurity and he's just sort of living at this time. But it's going to become an extraordinary day when King David sends for him and he has a chance to meet the king. If you have your Bible there, we're going to take just a minute and read it because it's going to help set the stage rather than touch on it in general. But 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's, for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Verse 8. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servants do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. We see three things in this passage. Of course, obviously, it's going to be a sermon, so there's got to be three points, right? That's obvious as well. But we see three things, and there's going to be some things we would notice from this story, but there's also going to be, of course, some application that we can make. You know, as I was thinking about lessons and all, it's been a while since we've looked at a good Old Testament lesson for our lesson on a Sunday morning. It's interesting to think about these accounts and these stories and what takes place. And when we go forward then and we think about us living in the Christian age, we're going to, of course, think about how we can can make application and how we can better ourselves as as well. But there are three things that we're going to notice. The first one, when we read this story that we find, is we find misery. We find misery. It's not a great way to start. It's not exactly something that's fun. But as we think about our lives, we know that we face the good times and the bad. And when we read this story, we find misery. You see, Mephibosheth had no family. He had no family. If you think about it, he previously had a great family. In fact, it's mentioned several times, verses 1 and 2, and again in verse number 6, that he was the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. At one time he had a great family, but they were killed. If you go backwards in your Bible, we won't look at it in detail, but in 1 Samuel chapter 31, we see the great battle 
that took the life of his father and his grandfather. You recall that King Saul had the potential. King Saul had the opportunity to be a great man, but he continued to sin and disobey God. So he's told that the kingdom is going to be taken from him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 31, we read that indeed he and his sons, several of his sons, die in battle. So Mephibosheth had no family. He is there at that time after that one battle in 1 Samuel chapter 31, and he lost his father and his grandfather. It's interesting to consider that in that one battle, he went from heir to orphan. He was in line. He had an opportunity. He was going to be an heir, but then he became an orphan. So he had no family to speak of. Now, there may have still been a little bit of family around, but certainly the family that was maybe the most important As we think about someone who is in line, in that kind of sense, he had no family. But secondly, he had no fortune. He was living in this place, and it's mentioned in this passage, specifically in verse number 4 there, he was living in this place called Lodabar. The meaning of that is actually no pasture. So literally, in a sense, he had no pasture. He's living in Lodabar. And so he had no fortune. And we can put ourselves in his shoes again and try to think about the fact that growing up, he probably had some relative, you know, the niceties of life. He's able to live and enjoy all of these things. And then just in one fell swoop, it's no more. So he has no fortune. In fact, if you notice there in verse number seven, as we read it, David says that all of his property would be restored to him. All of the property would be given back to him. It was ordered to be restored. So obviously, he had lost these things. He had no fortune, even though he certainly at one time had that name. And not only that, but even his name itself, Mephibosheth, is made up of two words, and the second word being the word shame. We're going to come back and talk about the rest of his name in just a minute, but his, his name literally carried with it the word shame. And so he had no family. He had no fortune. And when we think about it, he definitely was probably had misery in his life. Maybe he wasn't choosing to be a miserable person, but when we think about the things that make up our life, he was certainly missing a couple of those things that oftentimes bring us peace and joy. But then thirdly, we would even notice about Mephibosheth, he had no feet. Now, it's in quotation marks there. I'm sure he had feet, but once again, I went to preaching school, and so we have to have everything start with the same letter. And so as we're using the letter F here, it's only of necessity that we say he had no feet. What are we talking about? He was lame. In first Sam, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 4, if you go back in verse number 4, that's the first place that we meet Mephibosheth, 2 Samuel chapter 4. And as things are happening around them, his nurse, as he is a young child, picks him up, And the story says she is running with him to flee, and she drops him. And from that point on, he is lame in his feet. We even read it at the end of verse number 13 there in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's brought up several times. So he had no quote-unquote feet. He has no ability to walk. Now, you can imagine, as I do and and can, the medical advances that we have are, are marvelous in many ways. What we can do with someone Today, if someone is dropped in that manner or someone gets some kind of disease, typically we can do many things to try to help them. But here is a young boy or even a baby who is dropped, and for whatever reason, he becomes lame, and he has no opportunity then from then forward to live a normal life. Now, you also know as well that in some cultures, in some customs, if you're that type of person, especially if you're a male who's not able to then help your family, you're not worth very much. And so when we think about his life, it was probably a bit miserable. 
There was misery in this story because Mephibosheth, he had no family, he had no fortune, and in a sense he had no feet. He didn't even have an ability to get himself around from time to time. But as is often the case when we read the Bible, that's not where the story has to end. It doesn't have to stop there. He could have looked forward to his life and thought, you know what, I've got a long life of misery here. But when things happen in the Bible and read about someone, oftentimes there is a chance for good. And so we want to think secondly of the three things that we're going to find in this lesson as we read it. Secondly, there's some encouragement because we also find mercy. It doesn't have to stay in misery. It doesn't have to stay miserable, but we have an opportunity to find mercy as well. Now put yourself in Mephibosheth's position for just a moment. And I want you to go, we're going to go to the Kings. If you have your Bible, you can be turning to 1 Kings chapter 15. Because Mephibosheth had a bit of a dilemma on his hands, if you will. In 1 Kings chapter 15, and we're thinking about what was just commonly the case again. He's going to find mercy, but before he knows he's going to get mercy, he probably has a bit of apprehension in his life and in his thought process. Because how are people usually handled who have no family and have no ability and have no fortune? 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse number 29 we see there that Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel. Then, verse number 27, Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him and killed him. And notice verse 29. And it was so, when he became king, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. In fact, notice what it says there. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him. Now go forward to 2 Kings chapter 11. Because what we're thinking about is in the shoes of Mephibosheth, this is what he's considering that oftentimes took place. In 2 Kings chapter 11, we meet a woman by the name of Ataliah. You may have heard her name before. She's oftentimes called Ataliah the usurper because of the way that she comes to reign. And it says when Ataliah, the, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son... Notice the words, that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. So if she's destroying all of the royal heirs, but it was her son who was dead, she's killing her own family for the sake of taking the lives of the people who would be next in line. So when we think about what Mephibosheth was thinking, he was expecting something, but he was probably expecting something that wasn't good. He was probably expecting to find something that was not good because he's thinking about the fact that when there is a passing down of, of power, when there is a change of the guard or those who are in charge, oftentimes it meant that those who were left behind of the dead king were possibly going to lose their life as well. So what's he expecting? As those people from the king walk up to his house and knock on his door and say, yes, we're here from King David, and we would like to bring you to him. He has requested your presence. He's probably not expecting anything good, especially as he thinks about these other things. He probably would have been very fearful. But as we know, because we've already read, what he actually finds is probably what he didn't expect. Because he goes to meet the king, and when Mephibosheth met King David, we do here find mercy. Well, what else do we find? Well, we find that Mephibosheth found favor. In verses 1 and 3 and 7 of 2 Samuel chapter 9, David continues to say, Is there not someone 
of the house of Jonathan, or of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness. That I may show him kindness. So when Mephibosheth meets the king, he's not going to find the end of his life, but he's going to find favor. Now the Hebrew word that's used there is hased. And it usually means and carries with it not only the idea of favor or the idea of kindness, but often unmerited favor or unmerited kindness. You see, think about Mephibosheth. He didn't do anything. He's not done anything here but be lame and sort of live in obscurity. But because of what someone else had done, he found favor because of what Jonathan had chosen to do. For Jonathan's sake, He's found favor now in the eyes of the king. We think about unmerited favor. We think about God. We think about mercy. We've sung about it already this morning. We're going to come back to us in just a few moments and think about it. But the first thing that he finds, again, is not the end of his life, but he finds favor. The second thing that he finds here is he finds fellowship. As we consider what what Mephibosheth is going through, he finds fellowship. In verses 7, And as well in verse 7 and as well as in verse number 11, David says that he shall dine, he shall eat at my table. Now we give ourselves a hard time around here and of course the pandemic has has hurt it, but if we're going to be together, we're oftentimes going to eat, right? We're going to have a good time and enjoy a fellowship meal. That's not new. People have enjoyed fellowship for a long time around a table and through food. And so we see here David says, he shall dine at my table table. Mephibosheth was born with a spot at the table. Think about again of the house of Jonathan, of the house of Saul. He was born with a spot at the table, but he lost it. Of course, that's because of Saul. We said again in Saul's disobedience. In fact, when we think about the kindness that David is going to show to Mephibosheth, it's actually in 1 Samuel chapter 23 where Jonathan and David make that covenant. Jonathan says, Saul, my father Saul knows that you're going to be king. And I know that you are going to be king. And Jonathan says to David, I want to be right there beside you. So they make a covenant. And David makes this covenant with Jonathan. And so because of that, he's bringing this forward here. And he's going to show this kindness to Mephibosheth. But he originally had a seat at the table. But he lost it because of King Saul. David gave Mephibosheth a seat back at the king's table didn't have to do that but David made a covenant he made a covenant with Jonathan and that's how we begin the chapter with him saying what can I do to make good on this is there not anyone that we can find of the house of Jonathan that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake so he found fellowship as well but then thirdly he found a future now if you're filling out your blanks there you're going to have an extra blank that's my fault not faith's fault I gave her the wrong word here originally to use but he found a future He found a future. Again, he was probably a miserable person. He probably didn't think that he had much life ahead of him. Maybe he even considered taking his own life. We don't know that, but you just think about the fact that there was nothing ahead of him as someone who was lame and had no family. But instead, he finds a future. In verses 7 and 10 and 13, we read that David says he's going to restore these things to him. He will have a seat at the table. He will be taken care of. He's going to have a future, but not just any future. He's going to have a future in the king's house. David doesn't just say, hey, man, I'm glad I found you, and it's great to know you. I'm going to send you back home again. He essentially says, you can come in. You can come in and be with me. You can come in and have a part at my table and at my house. 
And so he doesn't just have a future, but a future at the king's house. But now let's go back to his name for just a moment. I told you that the second part meant shame. Mephibosheth, the second part, meant shame. The first part of his name actually means dispeller. Or some translations or some people translate it exterminator. So his full name is actually dispeller of shame. How fitting. How fitting for someone who struggled with the misery and the shame that he possibly had, that his full name actually means exterminator or, or dispeller of shame. Because here he has a future. He is given that opportunity. He no longer has to live in the obscurity, worried about his future and what's going to take place. He has found favor. He has found fellowship. And he has found a future. But let's think about ourselves for just a moment as we begin to make some application the third thing that we find in this story is we find meaning. Some of you are familiar with the passage in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4. We quote it often when we talk about the Old Testament. Whatsoever things were written aforetime, whatsoever things were written of old, were written for our learning. Paul is going to make the point there to those in Rome and to us as well today by extension that it's not just a bunch of fables. It's not just a bunch of stories. But it's something that we can read and learn from. And so, yes, when we read about Mephibosheth meeting the king, we can find meaning because those things are there for us to learn from. If you have your Bible, go over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to spend probably the rest of our time here in Romans chapter 5 and 6 and 8 as we think about what it means for us. Because we want to find a little meaning from this as well. Romans chapter 5, let's read a few verses together, beginning in verse number 6. You're familiar with them, I know you are. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's interesting to think in verse number nine there, the word or the idea of wrath. Of God's wrath. I made mention a moment ago that in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read about the ark being moved. And I said to you, do you remember Uzzah? A lot of people like to look at Uzzah and say, well, why did something awful happen to him? Why is it that he had to die? Because he simply touched the ark. He simply was trying to help the ark not to fall. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see God's wrath. God told them not to carry the ark that way. They were to carry it on the poles there were specific people who were supposed to carry it. And when those people then did not obey the word of the Lord, and Uzzah reaches out and has to try to protect it, then he loses his life. That's the wrath of God that we see. But the passage here in Romans chapter 5 is not so much that we're worried about the wrath, but we continue to think about the goodness of God, the saving power of the blood of Christ, and what God has done for us. You see, when we think about the story of Mephibosheth, and we think about meaning, we begin to make application to Mephibosheth's position. And when we think about his story, this is more about our misery and God's mercy. We make the application between Mephibosheth and us and King David and God, and we see that there is misery 
And we are to be miserable in a sense. But there is God's mercy that is there for us. You see, like Mephibosheth, we are in a miserable state. Romans chapter 5 there, we just read in verse number 8. While we were still sinners, while we're not able to do anything, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to get to that point where we are saved. It required God's mercy, Christ's blood, and their love for us. We sang about it just a moment ago. Oh, what marvelous mercy that God extends toward us. When we think about the connection, like Mephibosheth, we are miserable. We're in a miserable state without God. But like Mephibosheth, we are not created miserable. We're not created in that sense. You think about Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse number 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. We're not born in sin in the sense that, that a new baby has no opportunity, no chance until they, they get to a certain age. We are not created miserable. Think about Mephibosheth. He wasn't born that way. He had a seat at the table. He had opportunity before him. He wasn't created like that, but he certainly was like that. The same thing for us, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23, for all have sinned, that's what lies before us. We are miserable. Not in the same sense that we think, think <coughs> pardon me, that we think about being unhappy, that we think about being upset in our lives, not having things, not miserable like that, but we certainly have a miserable condition if we do not turn towards God. Although like Mephibosheth, we are not created that way. But like Mephibosheth, we are helpless. Romans chapter 5 there in verse number 6 that we read says, For when we were still without strength. But we're helpless. Some translations, one that you have in front of you, may use the word helpless there. Mephibosheth <clears throat> was helpless. We are helpless. That's the same state that we're in, just like him. So what are we going to do? Well, we have an opportunity. We have the chance to, be, to not be miserable anymore. And so when we think about Mephibosheth and the, con the connection that we have, Mephibosheth's life changed when he met King David. That was the change. We sometimes look back in our life and we look for momentous occasions and we think about the day that our lives changed. For Mephibosheth, it was pretty easy. He could look back at when he fell or when he was dropped and he may not have remembered it being a, a young baby or a child, but he could look back and say, I've heard that story my life changed for the worse on that day. But then at some point in his life, he could look back and he could say, that day that I got the call to come meet King David, that was when my life changed for the better. Things changed when Mephibosheth met David. Do you remember in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 that David is called a man after God's own heart? David wasn't perfect. But when Mephibosheth met King David, things were a lot better for him. But as we turn and make application for us and think about meaning, things change for us when we meet the king, but the king of kings. It doesn't matter what person we meet that has the most money here upon this earth. It doesn't matter if we meet the president, but when we meet the king of kings, that's when our life begins to change. Do you remember the lesson last week? We spent our entire lesson last week thinking about those people who came in contact with the king of kings. We thought about people who came in contact with Jesus. And what happened? Their lives changed. Some for the better. Some for the worse. Some didn't do anything. Some laughed. Some mocked. But their lives were changed. What about the rich young ruler? You remember that young man meeting Jesus on the road? What shall I do, master? Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have. Follow me. 
He leaves, but he leaves sorrowful. His life was forever changed because of that encounter with the King of Kings. And the same is true for us. We enjoy favor, unmerited favor, as we think about in Romans chapter 5 there. The unmerited favor of God. We can have fellowship. We think about Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 in Romans chapter 8. We have an opportunity for fellowship and we also have an opportunity for a future. A future with the king. When we meet the king of kings, it should change us. When Mephibosheth met the king, King David, it changed him. But as you're putting your Bible up and putting your notes aside for just a moment, let me ask you a question. Because we are trying to find meaning, right? I mean, this, it's a great story. You may have heard the name Mephibosheth before. You know King David. But as we turn and we think about ourselves for just a moment, let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, can you imagine Mephibosheth refusing to meet the king? What if those people knocked on his door and said, hey, the king is, is calling you. He'd like for you to come. And Mephibosheth said, ah, I think I'm good. I'll just stay right here. You know, I mean, my life's okay. It's not great, but I'll just stay where I am. What if Mephibosheth had refused to meet the king? But number two, can you imagine refusing the king's offer? Not King David, the king of kings. You see, we put this slide up almost every service. We sing a song of invitation every service to ask for you to consider the invitation of the king. It is the Lord's invitation. It's nothing to do with a magic slide. It's nothing to do with anything I say, but, but it's the Lord's invitation. It's, it's the invitation of the king of kings to come and meet him and be on good terms. Can you imagine Mephibosheth refusing the king? Can you imagine refusing the king? Possibility exists there's someone in the audience here this morning or even those watching online that maybe we can reach out to later who you've, you've refused the king before. He said, I'm good. I think I'll just stay how I am. I'm not in need of any kind of change. It kind of boggles our mind, but maybe you've done it or maybe you're currently doing it. We'll be singing to encourage you through the words of this song that's been selected and through the words on the slide here that you would consider the Lord's invitation. His request to say, come and be with me. Come and take my yoke upon you. Come and be washed in the blood. The saving power of my blood. He's offering his invitation and we're about to sing to encourage you to take advantage of that. Don't refuse him any longer. Maybe you're here this morning and you've accepted it in times past, but you know how relationships go. Sometimes they're great and you come together and then other times you kind of wander away and you, you separate. Maybe you have family. Maybe you have friends. People that you come in contact with that you don't talk to anymore because that relationship has had some distance. Don't distance yourself from the king. He's the king of kings. He offers the opportunity to be saved. He offers a home in heaven for all of eternity. We'll be singing to encourage you as well that maybe you need to come back to him to make that relationship right. You don't have to delay. Don't refuse any longer. Either by becoming a Christian or coming back to him, we'll be singing the Lord's invitation to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.